Lord, we do thank you again that we can come together, Lord, and study your word together and just see what creation was like before the fall in the garden. Lord, we know so much about the sorrow and suffering like we've been hearing, but I pray that you would open up our eyes to see what Eden was like, Lord, and I pray that you would just continue to put that longing desire in our heart to return to that place with you, a fellowship, Lord, where it was unbroken. It just was such a beautiful thing, I'm sure, Lord. So I do pray as we spend this time together, speak to every heart, Lord, and draw us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, for those listening online, we just read through chapter two together. And when we look back at chapter two, verses one through three, what do we see there? Which day was created? Because the last time we had class, we saw everything that was created from day one, right, to six. So now on the seventh day, what did God do? He rested. The seventh day is the Sabbath or the Shabbat. In the Jewish Bible, Jewish study Bible, Shabbat means rest, which is a central theme of an important observance. Shabbat lasts from sundown Friday evening to sundown Saturday for the Jewish people. As it is written, there was evening and there was morning. Hence, on the Hebrew calendar, each new day starts at sunset. So why do you think God created the Sabbath? For rest. For rest. I'm sorry, say them more. A gift to us. I like that. In what way? Because we love working. So this is again from the complete Jewish study Bible. Listen to what it says. It says from ancient to modern times, humans tend to become obsessed with work and getting ahead. Isn't it true? There is always more to do. Yet without proper rest and refreshment, human strength and creativity fail. In his infinite wisdom, God told the children of Israel to recharge themselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He demonstrated this principle when he created the universe. For six days he formed the world and everything in it, but on the seventh day he rested. Consequently, the seventh day, Shabbat, is to be a perpetual reminder of God the Creator and our need to find rest in Him. And there's a reference there from Exodus 31, verse 12 to 18. Augustine was a theologian, and I love what he says. He says, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in me. And how many here will say that's true? You found that out firsthand, and you keep finding that out. Everything we pursue, thinking we need, X, Y, and Z, and it's empty, right? But when we find our rest in Him, when we take the time to recharge physically, spiritually, emotionally, in His presence, you realize this is what I really need, and this is what I was created for to be still and to be with him and to enjoy who he is, his presence. So as we read through Genesis 2, verses 4 through 25, we're now, think about 
what we read in Genesis 1, right? When we, the last time we met. And we're now leaving behind the cosmic view of creation. And the narrative now is turning to what's happening on Earth, right? Because we saw everything that was being created. The universe, the sky, the sea, the birds of the air, everything was being created, right? But now we're going to see the creation of the first man, which the girls read, the young girls, and the preparation of the Garden of Eden as their home. And like I said the last time we did class, well, what was Eden like? I mean, we can't even wrap our minds around what it was like. So in this chapter, we're also seeing a personal God interacting with his creation. Isn't that good news? God interacts with us. We also see how chapter 2 complements chapter 1. So remember, I'm always saying to you, let Scripture interpret Scripture, because Scripture is its own commentary on what God has said. And we looked at that the last class, God's Word. From the New Testament to the Old Testament, God's Word, how powerful God's Word is and what He says. So in verse 4, we see the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created on the day when God, or Adonai, made earth and heaven. Adonai is one of the names of God used in the Old Testament. In most English translations of the Bible, it is translated as Lord with lowercase letters, where the name Yahweh is written as Lord in capital letters. And we had did that in one of our other Bible studies, saw the difference. When it's all capital letters, it's talking about Father God, the Lord, the Creator. Adonai is a form of the Adon, which comes from the root word meaning to rule. And this is important because remember, when we went through chapter one, what stood out, I think about Diane, when she said what stood out to her was from Hebrews, right? Hebrews chapter one. He upholds all things. God upholds all things by the power of his word. Adonai rules. He reigns. Even with everything we see happening in the Ukraine right now in Russia, God is reigning supremely over that whole situation. As horrible as it is, he's reigning over that situation. So Adon means Lord or Master. Verses 5 and 6, we read that there was no rain nor man to till the ground, but the Lord, or Adonai, God, caused the mist to come up from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. And I found that interesting that Lisa read that verse because she works in the garden at the <laughs> creation museum, uh, the ark, uh, ark encounter. So it's like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so in verse 7, man was formed from the dust of the ground. And the Hebrew word used here for man is Adam. And one of the girls read the, in their translation, it read man. But the Hebrew word for man is Adam. And God was the one who breathed the breath of life into his nostril, and man became a living being. And how much do we need that breath of life, right? We need that breath of life every day from him, you know, for him to life us. What's so interesting when we review back from chapter 1 in verse 26, remember when God said, let us make man in our image? What does that really mean? 
made in the image of God. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, what does that really mean? We read that, but what does it mean? It means to be creative, intelligent beings. We can speak, see, and hear. Think about God. Think about Jesus. We're made in the image of God. We've fallen from that. We're going to see that in the next week's class, the fall in the garden. But think about, isn't God creative? He's intelligent, right? He can see, speak, hear. We can feel emotions. Doesn't God have emotions? Yeah. Reading through numbers right now. God was angry. <laughs> God judged sin because, you know, he's just and he's righteous. We have a will. And we have a purpose. So we're created in the image of God, meaning we're creative, intelligent beings. We can see, speak, hear. We can feel emotion. We have a purpose. We have a will. And when you look at that, you can really see what Psalm 139, 14 says. We truly are fearfully and wonderfully made. We really are. And I know sometimes that's hard for women to really believe, but it's true. You are fearfully and wonderfully made because you're made in the image of God. You're made in the image of God. So in verse 8 and 9, we read that the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that was pleasant to the sight and good for food. Wasn't that kind of the Lord? I mean, when I read that, I'm like, that was really kind of the Lord to do that. He wants us to enjoy beauty. Somehow we think it's taboo to enjoy beauty, the birds. I mean, I'll never forget when we went to Brazil and they took us to a bird park there. And the colors of the birds, I had never seen birds the colors that I was seeing. Absolutely gorgeous. The colors were radiant, brilliant. I mean, the mixture, only God. Only God. And a lot of you know we have a bird we rescued. And I'm telling you, Faith has a billion little hearts on her chest. And Samantha could testify to that. All little hearts on her chest. That's God. That's his thumbprint. So he loves beauty and he wants us to enjoy his creation. Do you ever go for a walk and you see something beautiful, maybe a flower or a tree or a bird, and you realize, man, but, the, but this is a fallen world we're living in. But somehow we get a little glimpse here and there. What could it have been like before the fall? So he created every tree that grew was pleasant to the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did that tree have to be there? <laughs> did you ever think of that? Why? Why? What was the purpose of that tree? <laughs> but did anyone notice as we were reading through God completed his creation. Everything we read in chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago and what we're reading now, he made sure everything was in place 
before he created man. Isn't that amazing? Everything was ready for them to meet their every need. He's still the same God. He's still the same God. So what was the Garden of Eden like? Well, Eden was the unique dwelling place of God. It's where God dwelt. When the term Eden is used as a noun, it is defined as a place or state of great happiness and unspoiled paradise. You know, I read through Revelation, the last few chapters, and the description of just God's throne room and God's kingdom coming, and it's just like, I still can't wrap my mind around it. The descriptions are just, it's so, I can't wrap my mind around it. So what was Eden like? Eden is described as a garden with abundant water and lush vegetation. The girls read that. We talked about the rivers, the different rivers that came out of there. But then verse 15 and 16, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Adam was placed in the garden by God to cultivate, which meant to guard. Coming from the Hebrew word shomir, which means to guard, to protect. That was his assignment. And this is very important because when we go into chapter 3, we're going to see, yeah, Adam, he was standing right there when Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But that was his God-given responsibility to keep, to watch over, to guard, to subdue, to rule, to work, and care for God's creation. And this references back to Genesis 1, 28-31. I found this interesting as I was studying to prepare for this class in the Hebrew Jewish Bible, study Bible. The Hebrew word for work is avodah, which is the same word used for manual labor and worshiping God. Manual labor and worshiping God. And immediately when I read that, I thought about 1 Corinthians 10.31, where the Apostle Paul told us, therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So Adam's work was a form of worship to God before the fall. Now, we have to remember this was all before the fall, what it was supposed to be like. The earth was to serve mankind, all the plants were to be food for the man and the animals. God was to them, their loving father that provided for them, and he was in that relationship with them. He loved his creation, and he still does. He loved them so much that he gave them instruction in verse 17. From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
And what we see here is that God gave him a warning. You think that tree was there to test them? Because remember, they had a will. Created in the image of God, they had a will. And he already knew what they were going to do. Because remember, when we looked at chapter 1, he's sovereign, right? He's omni, omnipotent, omniscient, omniscient, right? He knows ahead of time what's going to happen. So he knew this was going to happen, that they were going to disobey him. I know. Diane's shaking her head like... I know. It is mind-boggling. I mean, it's amazing to me. But isn't this amazing? Because when we look back at chapter 1, and we saw how many times God said everything he had created, it was good. What was the one thing that wasn't good? That man was alone. That man shouldn't be alone, right? That was the one thing that wasn't good. Man should not be alone. Why? Well, next chapter we'll see why. <laughs> but I, I don't know. <laughs> yes. Uh huh. That's important what you're saying. Right? What you said is very important. And we're going to touch on that. It's very important. Say that again. It was for being a helpmate. Yes. Yes, a helpmate. Yes. So he would make a helper comparable to him. That's why Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She came out for me. God said it was not good that man should be alone. So he made, before he made woman, he made living creatures for Adam. And Adam named all the animals as the young girls read. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable for him in verse 19 and 20. Even with all the animals, you know, and I was thinking about the dog that we had to put him down yesterday. Had him 11 years. And we love our dogs. But reality is, as wonderful as our dogs are, they can't give us what a human being can give us. You know what I mean? They just, we love them, but, but I always wonder, what was Adam's dog like? Because I'm sure he had a dog, right? And we love our pets so much. What was the pets that he had like? But still, he knew this is not can't really have a relationship with my dog, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, made in his image relationship. So what we see, Adam was incomplete by himself. And this is what Sarah said. He had been created for relationship. God created him for relationship. We're created for relationship with one another. It's impossible. It was impossible for him to have a relationship alone with just animals. 
You can't be fruitful and multiply the earth. Right? Isn't this amazing that Eve was the solution to Adam's <coughs> deficiency? Give you something to think about. She was created as a solution to his deficiency. With the creation of Eve, Adam could experience the joy of love for another person. Just what Sarah said. Created for a relationship. So in verse 21 and 23, what we see, the woman was created with a purpose too. We have a purpose. The woman is made, what we saw, from the side of man, meaning she was equal to him. She was created in the image of God also. Let us make man in our image. And he created them both male and female. Biological male and female. She was a piece of him. Bone of my bone. Flesh of my flesh. And she was to be his companion. And the wife of his covenant meaning she was an appropriate match for him. She was just right. Do you ever feel that way in your marriage? That God matched you guys up perfectly? She was complimentary. She was a complimentary companion for Adam, for her husband. I love this. Matthew Henry said, and I've read this before when we were studying through the life of Eve a long time ago. But I still love the quote, and I'm going to say it again. He said that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of the head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near to his heart to be beloved. So beautiful. It's just so beautiful. So when we look at our culture, and they come against us, right? Because we believe this, and they think we're putting women down. We're not putting women down. We're not. Yeah. We're not. Eve was to be a suitable helper for Adam. And the word helper in Hebrew means ezer, referring broadly to rendering aid. This word does not imply inferiority like we're saying, but she was an ideal partner for Adam. And she was to minister with her husband in his God-given assignments in the garden. God designed her to assist and complete him. Again, it's beautiful. This is what it was like, supposed to be like. See, when it's supposed to be this way, it's beautiful. But we're going to see in the next chapter what happened. (laughs) Because some of us come home from our honeymoon, right? And we realize the fairy tale's over. That was quick. You're all smiling. The young girls are like, what are we talking about? (laughs) Take notes. (laughs) Take notes. (laughs) 
one day you'll say, yeah, I heard this when I was younger. And it's true. <laughs> so the other thing we could get so tripped up on, especially in our culture today, is you see how Adam said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And how they feel like we're old-fashioned and all the things they label us with now. But when you read 1 Corinthians 11, verse 8 and 9, when the Apostle Paul said, for man is not from woman, but woman from man, basically what he was saying is Eve literally came from Adam, from his rib, though she was still created by God. So he's talking about the order of creation here. It's not like we're putting down women. God created Adam first. And then came woman. You know, but sometimes if we grew up in uh, the feminist generation or woman's lib generation, we could look at those verses and catch an attitude over those verses. Because we think, oh, we're, we're being squashed down. But that's not what it's saying there. He's talking about creation, God's creative order. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 9, too. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for man. We don't like that either. How many here like that verse? (laughs) No hands are going up for those listening online. Nor was man created for the woman, but the woman was created for the man. Paul is referencing here again to the order of creation. He's not suggesting that women were created for the purpose of pleasing man. Rather, he's focusing on the created order and Eve's role as a partner in maintaining God's creation. They had an assignment to do together, and they complemented each other. And she was a helper to him before the fall. Before the fall, I have to keep saying that because we can look at it and say, but that's not what I see now, or, but it's what it was supposed to be. First Timothy 2.13, again, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. So we see this all in the New Testament. It's like a commentary on what we're reading on these scripture verses here. God's creative order. Matthew Henry again said, if man is the head, then she is crowned. First Corinthians eleven seven tells us a man ought not to cover his head since she is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. A crown to a husband the crown of the visible creation. So then we have in verse 24, God said that they should leave their mother and father, right? Because God was the one that brought this marriage relationship together. And they should cleave, right, to the husband to the wife, both should cleave to one another. And we know Adam had no father really, no mother, biological. But this is referring to future generations, what was to come in the future. 
But it's amazing Jesus told us the same thing. Again, I'm trying to pull in the New Testament to complement the Old so you see how it all ties in together. Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6, Jesus said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Where does that come from? Genesis 1. Yeah. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Where does that come from? Genesis Genesis 2. So then they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate, referring to divorce. The Apostle Paul also said in Ephesians 5, verse 31 and 32, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And a husband and wife were to live as one, united in love for God and for one another, modeling the love Christ has for his bride, the church. That is what marriage should represent should represent that. Marriage would require cleaving or clinging, and the Hebrew word here implies pursuit and attachment to be joined by commitment. And we make a covenant, right? When we take our marriage vows, we're taking a covenant before the Lord saying, I'm in this till death do us part. No matter what comes, no matter what we have to go through, I'm in it for the long haul. I made that covenant before God and before my mate. The word cleave, debag, now think about what Jesus said and think about what the Apostle Paul said too, okay? Means to cement together, to stick like glue, to be welded together so that the two cannot be separated without damage to both. So it was to be permanent, and there was to be unity there. And how many here know when there is divorce, there is damage to both and to the children? And you carry that with you. God heals it, but you still carry it with you. Still carry it with you. Why? Because it wasn't supposed to be. What is it supposed to be? In the beginning, it was not supposed to be that way. Marriage should result in oneness. That's what one flesh points to the physical body, but also to the mind, emotion, and will. One flesh implies that the husband and wife experience the joys and sorrows of this life, meaning life's challenges together. And how many here that have been married, whether... One year, (laughs) two years, to 40 years, 50. (laughs) (laughs) She deserves a trophy, and so does he. (laughs) They both deserve trophies. (laughs) But you look at, you've enjoyed the joys together, right? The sorrows together of life, challenges, 
but you come out stronger each time, right? That's what you learn each time. You come out stronger. And it draws you closer to the Lord if you let it. If you let it. So lastly, we read there that they were naked, which implies they were innocent before one another. There was no shame. Man, what was that like? No shame at all. So when we look back to Genesis 1, verse 26 to 28, we see God's purpose for mankind was to reflect his image in creation or to be like him. He wanted them to rule over creation and man was given authority over all the earth. Verse 26. When God had completed his creation before he made Adam and Eve, he placed them in the garden. And in verse 27, we see that it takes both male and female to fulfill God's purposes. And his purpose was to fill the earth with more image bearers. And I'm so blessed with all the babies we're having in this church. It's like you're filling this church with image bearers. To raise them up, to love God, to serve God. And the younger ones sitting in this class. I love that you're in this class. Because you're that next generation. That God's going to use to reach souls. He's doing it. I know he's doing it, Olivia, in many of you. Yeah. Yeah. Also, he wants us to glorify him. And to walk in his counsel and instruction because if you remember he loved them so much he said don't eat from that tree because the day you eat of it you will surely die so I want you to look at how beautiful things were before we get to the next chapter because they were warned and they did it anyway they did it anyway. Before the fall, we learned that man was God conscious, meaning he had unbroken fellowship with him. What was that like? Right? I mean, we, we drift in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. What was it like to be in constant fellowship with God? Does your heart yearn for that, to go back there again, to that place? Well, one day... One day we'll have that if we keep persevering, keep persevering. Man had perfect fellowship with God and his wife. What was that like? (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, what was that like? Unbroken fellowship with God, I already said, perfect health. No sickness, no disease, no decay, no nothing. Perfect health. What was that like? Remember, they were creating the image of God. Glorified body. What was that like? Perfect environment. The environment was perfect. What was that like? No dentists. What did you say? No dentists. No dentists. Yeah, I mean, I mean, nothing rotted on them, right? <laughs> yeah, cleaning their teeth, probably perfectly straight, and they probably would. The, I, do you ever think about what they look like? Right. Oh. Yeah. 
I mean, it was God's creation. I mean, they were probably just magnificent. All of their needs, all of their needs were met by God. They had meaningful roles and responsibilities. They had companionship, perfect innocence and purity between them. Nothing haunting them from their past before the fall. I can't imagine after the fall. I can't imagine. I always say that to Jeff. I can't imagine. Once they took of the fruit and ate of it, I can't imagine what happened. Just you, because they had tasted. Yes, they know what it was like. And they knew it was good. God's creation was good because God said it was good. No flaw in it, no imperfections. To have that and then all of a sudden to be in boom, a sin-cursed world, which we'll look at next week. I can't even imagine what... I can't. What have we done? I mean, I just... What have we done? And... Generation after generation after generation after generation after generation. Here we are in our generation. And we're still feeling it. But let's look at what it was like before. Before. So we're going to have discussion now. And I'm just going to mention the questions. Then I'm going to turn this recording off because it's hard to hear with the recording, but I want to mention the questions for anyone that's listening online. Um, There's four questions that I want us to look at and talk about based on what we just went through. The first one, is there something new that you learned from going through this chapter tonight? The second one is what stands out to you about your God-given role in this chapter? The third one is, have you ever asked your husband how you can become a better helpmate to him? And the fourth, are there any areas in your life where you're overstepping your God-given responsibilities that your husband should be doing? So I'm going to turn off the recording now, and we're going to have our discussion time.